0: All right, through the magic of the internet, I am joined by someone halfway across the world. Uh, this is Colin Schatz. I'm Seth Partnow of The Athletic and Stats Bomb and uh, the book The Midrange Theory. I'm joined today by uh, Ben Thompson, who is uh, it's eight in the morning for for him, and this is always weird for me. I've uh, through the book, I've ended up doing like New Zealand uh, morning drive radio. That's like the following day. For them, that's lunchtime. My time, and I, I understand the concept of time zones, but just talking to someone who's uh, who's living in a different day than I am is it will never not be weird to me. So, well, I, I'm home. here. The,
1: I, I'm good. I'm here in the future. It is uh, dreary and rainy. So um, bad news for everyone.
0: Well, uh, it, it, if, I'm here from the, the past in Milwaukee, and it is also dreary and rainy here. So, um, <laughs> so you you're right at home in, in in your homeland. So, um. First of all, just I think for anyone who doesn't know, uh, if you can you know, kind of quickly introduce uh, yourself in your, in your more of your professional guys rather than the, uh, the no tech Ben persona. Uh,
1: I, I don't know. I think we might be here for no tech Ben. But um, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm Ben Thompson. I write Checkery, which is uh, primarily about the tech industry and also a fair bit about media and uh and I'm a big bucks fan, so th- there is a, a a nice little Venn diagram that um, applies to some of these topics
0: sure so the the and i'm glad you you brought up the kind of the, the the intersection of tech and media because the reason i wanted to to have you on and to really talk to you in detail about this was um sort of shortly after the pandemic started um the nBA announced a like a, a big uh big you know, partnership with Microsoft and, and sort of as part of that announcement, you interviewed Adam Silver. And, um, I, I, encourage people to go back and listen to that conversation if, uh, if they can, but there's one thing he said in that conversation that really stuck out to me. And that's uh, part of this deal was to help the NBA move from a one to many delivery model to a one to one delivery model. Um, and I thought that was just, that was, that, that was fascinating. Um, what did you take away from both that conversation and that and that part of the conversation?
1: Well, so the uh, the context here is obviously the the NBA uh, has had this longstanding relationship with Turner, and I think the relationship was maybe deeper and more extensive than people realize when it went beyond just the you know games on TNT, but also. You know, Turner ran the, the NBA's sort of entire digital relationship, or and they ran NBA TV. Then they also ran, like, the League Pass apps, and I think they might have run the league's website also. I'm, I'm, I'm not completely certain on that. And this was pretty interesting because it was sort of uh, taking away the digital parts from Turner and giving them to Microsoft – and uh, it was an interesting deal. I think it was a a a pretty favorable deal from the NBA's perspective in that uh, I think we've all had our our frustrations maybe with Turner's digital project over the years. Obviously, you're bringing a significantly larger company with you know more resources and more expertise sort of on board to sort of reimagine and rethink the digital product from the ground up. Uh, and then also, I think for for Microsoft, you know the the allure was probably more of a a marketing bit. I mean, the NBA, you know we talk about you know numbers, but it's like what a six billion dollar business or something like that. I mean, it's a it's a it's a pretty small fish relatively speaking, but I think Microsoft sort of saw it as you know an opportunity to if we can do really cool stuff here, then it can be sort of a demonstration of our technology, what we could do. And that could be broadly interesting to to sort of lots of folks. So I think that was sort of the the, the context of this. And to get to the the so the, the, the sort of customization aspect, I think this is something that was that was definitely um, a big deal to to Adam Silver. This idea that right now, if you watch a game on League Pass, which is where I, I watch most of my games, you're basically just getting the game broadcast. And uh honestly that's that's fine from my perspective. Uh my my frustration with the digital project is how well that works uh and how you know that it's always like three minutes behind. Um but I, I think there was a lot of sort of talk, maybe a bit hand wavy, but about this idea of y- you can interact with the MBA and have stuff that's really heavily tuned. And customized to what you're interested in. So if I mentioned in the box, there'll be a lot of Bucks content, not just current, but also old content. If you want to follow a player like like Giannis, then then you'll you'll get stuff customized to that. And I think you know there's it's it, it was really more of a high level theoretical. You know, this is where we want to go, sort of concept um as opposed to a a ton of particulars about how it how it might work in practice um i think the i think the part that matters most is just having uh an entity with sort of the capabilities uh of a microsoft sort of working on this um and uh and so uh, we'll see i mean i i'm i'm actually not super clear on how far along they are as far as doing doing the switch over but but that was sort of the, the, the high-level takeaway that, um, that I got from that.
0: Sure. I, part of um, my reaction to that has been um, it, that, that goal almost explains, um, in, in many ways, it seems like the, the uh, um, I don't know if you've ever watched the show Project Runway, but like the, the feedback that often is given to one of the designers, it's a you know, clo- uh, fashion design show, is who's your girl? who is who is this for and it seems at times with the way the nba kind of presents the product that seems a little muddled and so it makes sense in some ways that if if they think they can customize that a little bit more instead of instead of you know lumping one product in for the you know the the highlight people and the you know in game loud noises people and the hardcore basketball people and uh, everything was better back in Mighty and whoever else like whatever like whichever niches of fandom we want to talk about instead of doing that you could you could just kind of service each of those groups more individually um but it still indicated almost a little bit of a of a confusion on who's this for um
1: yeah no uh, i think that that taps into some of my uncertainty as well i think the um i guess you know to sort of step back big picture if I look at the NBA and I'm certainly, you know, it's hard to divorce my sort of uh, fan perspective from a sort of analyst perspective, but um, the the part of the NBA that pays the bills is the actual games. Like that's what ESPN is paying for. That's what Turner's paying for. That's what all these uh, regional sports networks are paying for. And I do wonder at times if, to what extent the NBA has lost sight of that. And, you know, I, I think the NBA has been very well known for its embrace of social and, and the way that it's, you know, it's always hyped up like all its Twitter followers and numbers and things on those lines. And the problem is that Twitter doesn't pay the bills. The the <laughs> the games pay the bills. And so I, I, do, I do wonder about, there's sort of an implicit assumption that's undergirded a lot of what the NBA has done. And I think you saw it in some of the talk about this, uh, about what you know this deal could portend that is sort of an assumption that if people are engaged with and connected with the NBA they will inevitably become people that watch NBA games and i, I think that's something that needs to be fleshed out um I, you know the the NBA is certainly a big part of of culture and i think the awareness of NBA stars is is very high you know particularly relative to other sports but there's a been a bit of a just sort of assumption, unstated assumption that that translates into people watching games. And I, I think it's a reasonable assumption, but it's one that I think needs to be maybe pushed on and prodded and understood at a deeper level to make sure that this is all sort of going in the same direction. I I mean, the, it's interesting because, for me, one of the things that made me a much, uh, to a much more deeper NBA fan was reading really, and again, this might, this is not, this is an anecdote and I'm obviously a a bit of a nerd, but reading really in-depth analysis, you know, um, you know, I read, I read your blog back in the day before you, before you joined the Bucks. I, I, you know, was a big Zach Lowe fan, you know, just like breaking down like pick and roll defenses and seeing how the intricacies of the game made me really eager to want to watch more and to you know see what I could pick up myself and to understand what was happening on the floor. And from my perspective, I don't see any real weaning into that from the NBA's perspective or from the broadcast partners, which I think is interesting because on one hand, well, maybe I'm not the target customer. I'm just sort of a, you know, except I'm a nerd. Uh, on the other hand, you do see that with the NFL, you see, you know, entire shows on ESPN breaking down play design and and you know how they you know how how the guys are schemed open and things on those lines and the NBA just really hasn't seemed to put much much oomph behind that aspect of understanding the game it's more about uh really trying to Find oh, who are these people who are fans of people because they're big in AU or they're big on social media? Now we're gonna make them huge, and you know, like the Pelicans being on national TV every single, you know, seemingly every week when Zion came in the league, and uh, and the NBA seems to more focused on harvesting popularity as opposed to manufacturing popularity, and I, I and I'm not sure of how much of this deal and the talk around it really reflects any real underlying shift in mindset it's like well no, we have the right approach we just need better technology and i'm not sure how much thought there's been to the overall approach
0: that that, that seems very underpants gnomes ish it's like de- technology question mark question mark question mark profit
1: i it, it did it did feel a little bit like that and i think that was that was sort of one of the takeaways that i had i mean one of the one of the things that i brought up in that interview was to me I, I think one of the most compelling stories for uh, technology as far as watching games is the creating the capability to have a so you know a, a true social experience while watching other people and obviously it's great fun being on Twitter at the same time but for example uh, one of the problems with being on Twitter and watching games particularly being in Taiwan is my stream is always behind and so it's really annoying to see stuff on twitter before it sort of happens it happens in the game and i think the the as more and more people are streaming this is more and more of an issue i think uh you know i am because this really drives me up the wall i go back to wisconsin every summer and i get cable there because i want like to, i for the sole reason that i want the game to be up to date even if it even if i'm paying for it for the rest of the year the uh the experience of being as live as possible is super important to me and I noticed last year, particularly in the Bucks playoff run, where people are – there's so many more people on social media watching, like, the NBA finals, that if you're streaming, even if you're only behind by 15 seconds, you really feel it. You 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 really feel that you're behind. And I had a number of friends who had been doing, you know, even at YouTube TV, which is probably the, has the best streaming performance is the least likely to be behind, but would still sometimes be behind like, Oh man, I got get cable. (laughs) Because I want to watch, watch it together. But I think what they want is they want the experience of watching a game with other people. And again, Twitter is great in that regard, but there's so much more that could potentially be done where, where, and I think this is where the, you know, this technology is very compelling if we can decide to watch a game together and the app can make sure we're in sync and we could have a voice channel or we could have a, a chat channel or whatever it might be. That seems much more compelling to me and is much more centered around the game as opposed to just like social media, like it like inverts the sort of the connection there. And the reason I bring that up is I mentioned that in the interview and Adam Silver was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that'd be great. We would love to do something like that. But it wasn't like what he brought up. He brought up this sort of individualized, individualizing content sort of thing, which to me uh, was interesting because I thought the priorities, at least from my perspective, were a little out of order. Where I think the social aspect is critical, but it's it's the social aspect around a game. To me, that's the core piece, and 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 everything flows from there, including the money.
0: Is now correct me if i'm wrong but doesn't Netflix have, have they have like a movie night kind of kind of uh is it Netflix that has that has uh, like a movie night functionality where you can do that it's like i know my my kids uh early in the pandemic watched a movie a couple movies with their grandparents like kind of synced up that way um because they couldn't obviously they couldn't be in the same place so so these kind of things do exist in in sort of other other genres and it and it, it seems like for for something where, like, the, the synchronicity and the, the the kind of liveness, whether it's actually live or just everyone has the same latency, that does seem like kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah, it, it's a really hard problem to solve, to be, to, to be fair. Um, I think, you know, just to take an example, you know, if you're in Milwaukee and I'm in Taipei, there's a, a sheer, like, physics problem in that it takes longer for, for light to get to me. So, uh, and, and and so getting that synced up is is definitely a real issue, but that's also an issue where I think Microsoft, partners with Microsoft makes a huge difference. Microsoft has data centers all over the world and they have sort of uh, more capabilities to solve it just from a fear physical presence perspective, and also from the the sort of technology that it would take to get an approximation of, of sort of liveness, because you're having to sync up you know, chat, people sitting around in, uh, in the future, we should get to VR, because I think is actually very interesting, but also, you know, sort of the pro the broadcast sort of a- arriving on time. And to me, that's, that's the, you know, I think it, it, it's arguable that we're still too early to get there, but to me, the, um, that's, if I were in charge of the NBA, all of my, um, I would just really want to be really Crushing the sort of the 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 game experience and the social aspect around gaming, uh, I think a partnership with Twitter could be very interesting. Like, imagine if you could, uh, you know, import your feed to this future NBA app, and you could watch Twi- You could watch a game after the fact and see sort of what was happening in your timeline at the time of the game. Like, so you could sort of re- re- relive that experience. I think there's, like, I I, I just. I don't know. Again, this is maybe partly the fan of me talking, but the there's what's that saying? You have to keep, keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, I, I can't remember who said it, but for the NBA, the games are the main thing. And what I'm interested to watch is to what extent that manifests in the things that they do, as opposed to like social media being the main thing or, or, or highlights being the main thing or, or w- w- whatever else it might be.
0: Or given, you know, what happened last week? Transactions being the main thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's interesting because that obviously is is such a dominant thing, you know, particularly on on social media, and it gets a lot of traffic. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm super biased in this regard. Again, in part because being a fan, also I'm a fan of of Giannis, and I find it frustrating <laughs> that like so you hear numbers like why does Bleacher Report show five gazillion. LeBron highlights and Lakers highlights and that there's a Bucks game there's like one highlight and if Giannis tries to do a chase down block and the person dunks it they call it dunking over Giannis and then show that five million times and uh, you know I'm not bitter uh, I am a little bitter uh, but There's there's a bit here where I get it, right? Someone like LeBron has been hyped up since he was a kid. Someone like Zion was huge in high school, right? And so these people come in and they're huge stars and the NBA wants to capitalize on that. But what's missing, I kind of, I mentioned this a bit earlier, is Creating new stars, making it so people want to care about people they mes- necessarily didn't know about. You know, this is this is a Giannis thing, and it's definitely a, a bigger issue for for foreign players because people weren't familiar with them, whether it be Giannis or Embiid or or, or, or Luka Doncic and uh, Doncic. And I, I think that you know, again, I go back to the NFL where the NFL had this entire division, NFL Films, that was basically all about creating a mythology around the league and like. And you have this situation where a dream, the NFL's dream Super Bowl matchup is like Green Bay versus Kansas City, and it's like two small markets. But because you know Aaron Rodgers is huge and, and Patrick Mahomes is huge, and these are you know storied franchises, and we get five gazillion clips of like Super Bowl one or whatever I think that that was the matchup. Like they would just make it into such a big thing. That would feel like it was this massive clash of titans, even though like one of the cities has less than hundred thousand people, and uh, and the NBA doesn't seem to do a very good job of manufacturing popularity, of manufacturing something that you should care about. It's all about looking at the metrics, looking at the numbers, say, oh, this is this team is popular, this player is popular, let's ride that train as sort of as far as we can. And it just it just feels like a real fundamental failing of sort of the NBA in general, and I feel like that's manifested in some of the talk around this deal. Again, what's the idea of customizing sort of the content? Well, it's giving you what you want. It's being responsive to customers, and I think that the league could benefit from a little more we're going to make you care about some of this stuff you might not care about because not only is it interesting and worth caring about, but also this is going to be sort of, you know, again, take the Bucks as an example. This is going to be a team that's going to be huge in the playoffs for the next several years. So if we can make people care about that, it's going to pay off in spades as far as viewership numbers and things on those lines, instead of being terrified, Oh no, Milwaukee's in the finals. It's like, Oh wait, Milwaukee's in the finals and we've spent the last five years making people really care. And so we're, now we're going to harvest the payoff.
2: So uh,
0: let's put a pin in that. And we'll, we'll get back to that. Cause I, I agree with that. and want to expand on that a little bit, but uh, we had uh cupcakes. O'Callaghan, uh, if that is your real name, uh, had a question he wanted to ask. So uh, cupcakes. Wait, What's up fellas.
3: Ahead. Hey, uh, I was up at the Wisconsin Herd G League Ignite game. Ben, I'm a fellow Bucks diehard. And um, it got me thinking, you know, it was a, it was a pretty good crowd. The conditions were kind of right. It was a Saturday. The Bucks weren't playing. And it got me wondering, is there any hope to grow the game, grow the NBA product domestically through the G League? And, um, you know, the the Ignite drew a crowd. But the thing, as you guys probably know, is there's – not the natural tension of, of like winning matters in the G league. Everybody repeats the phrase about the G league. Oh, no one wants to be here. Right. And it's kind of, even though it's, it's grown a lot over the years, it's not necessarily um, it's still kind of a, a punchline in a lot of ways. And I'm just wondering, like, if you get the right market, is that something that's a thought? Like if we can kind of grow the game in these areas where they might not have basketball and latch on that way. I'm a
1: I'm a bit skeptical to be to be honest. I mean I think that obviously the, 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 the obvious analogy of the G League is probably to minor league baseball. And there you you just sort of have a collision of interests in a positive sense, which is, you know, the major league wants a place to do develop players and uh you have ideally, you know, entities that, you know, is just a a nice entertainment option in, in smaller cities. And uh and those things can sort of work together nicely to to put something on puts it on the floor um i i i don't know i mean maybe i'm biased cuz i you are a more hardcore bucks fan than me um i i don't think i've ever watched a g league game um but the i i'm a i just not sure the scale is going to be there to push it but maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe if they – particularly if they got did away with the with the uh call you know took more people straight from high school and sought to build sort of more of a college replacement. That's a possibility. But I think a thing to keep in mind about college, and I do wonder if this is part of the hesitation or the delay in the NBA getting rid of the one and done deal is colleges are better at manufacturing stars than the NBA is. Uh, you go to a Duke or a Kentucky or, or, or a, a school like that, you develop a national following, you develop a, a fan base, and the NBA wants to harness that fan base. Again, it, it's a league that I, that I think looks to harvest popularity, and colleges are good at manufacturing that popularity. So, you know, there, there's a definitely a symbiotic relationship between the college game and, and the NBA game, even though it seems odd that they would be in tension um there is there is some payoff for the n b a there
0: and i and i'd add to that 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 it's also um serves a little bit of a sorting function um you're you're sort of hinting at one of the problems that the n b a often has is is sometimes the 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 anointed players and the best players are very different people um you know it's it's like yeah the uh, you know one of my one of the players i probably take more shots at than anybody is trey young Trae Young's a very good player. Trey Young isn't as good a player as his sort of centrality in sort of the the social media, the NBA social social media ecosystem is. And so, if he's a guy that you're like pinning a lot of stuff on, he's a guy who's you know at least at present not like not super likely. Last week, last season notwithstanding, not super likely to be there in the in the last two rounds of the playoffs. And so you're you're you know you're. uh you're putting yourself at the mercy of like the competition, like ruining your best laid plans. Cause you know, it's, it's not wrestling where you can, you can, you know, do a, do a build and then, okay, well, this guy is the guy we're building in the storyline and he, and now he's in this, the big payoff match. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I,
1: I was, I was a bucks fan when it was bucks 76ers in Eastern conference finals. So we'll, then we'll have to, we'll have to leave. Okay. It's, I mean, okay. it's, as, I as mean
0: you know, so <laughs> like, like in the, in the non Donaghy era, it, it was, it's, um, no, but, uh, but to, to, to but to, and thanks a lot for the, 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 question cupcakes. Um, I, I, I do think that from a G league standpoint, why is there not a team in Seattle or in Tacoma or something, something like that? Well, like no,
1: that's... actually this, this, so this is a great, this is actually a, the Seattle point is a very, very interesting one. Um, someone wrote an article. I want to say it was Ethan Strauss, um, but I'm not sure it was, it was several years ago that really traced back how, when it comes to franchise relocation issues, the NBA again and again and again chose short-term gain over long-term health. And the Seattle situation, and so you ended up in a situation where when the NBA is in all these markets that are not top 30, uh, and, and some of those are understandable because you in all the sports leagues, you have a heavy East Coast, Midwest bias. Because when the league started, those were big cities, and those cities have now shrunk. And and but it you know they obviously have very hardcore fans, and it, you know you don't you don't want to move teams, so that makes sense. But even in the last sort of twenty years, there's been teams in places like you know New Orleans or Oklahoma City, where the Oklahoma City is obviously the killer example where it's a short term win. You get owners that want to do it. You 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 have a new stadium. Seattle's being obstinate about building a new stadium, et cetera. But it's such a massive long-term loss for the league. You're not in one of the biggest markets in, in, in the country, in, including one with a huge fan base. And But the Seattle, I think what was interesting about this article, is that Seattle was, was the most obvious example of this, but it was hardly the only example. And I just think the NBA, and you, you go back through the history of the NBA, and there has been a tendency to sort of work from crisis to crisis and 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 sort of be bailed out by the stars. And the you know the, the clearest example was the NBA was in real serious trouble in the late seventies. You know, drug use was was sort of having a huge impact on the league. Famously, their game, their finals games were not all broadcast live. And then Magic and and Bird come along and really sort of resuscitate things again. Big markets, and then Jordan comes along and takes things to another level. And, and there's something I read about in the context of tech companies where, you know, uh, organizations get fundamentally shaped by sort of searing moments in their history and what sort of worked and made them great. And that sort of becomes the working assumption. And I think there's a bit where the NBA has been, you know, stuck in the Michael Jordan mold ever since then, uh, where there and it is part of it is just the nature of basketball, where individual players matter more they're, they're more involved in the play. They're very visible. Like they're not wearing helmets or whatever it might be. And, you know, they can, and you have more opportunities to be charismatic and interesting on a court than you do in, in almost any other sport. And, and so I, I, there is something endemic to basketball about that, but it, it feels like the NBA has been stuck in the find a star and hitch our wagon to them sort of mindset for going on, you know, three decades now and I just wonder how much better things could be had there been more of a concerted effort to build up the mythology of the league to make it so that you know teams there are, there are national teams and and again this might all be this might all be just uh, misguided talk from the sideline. I mean the NBA is a very different product than the NFL. It's a, it has a ton of games. You know, the, the nature of the league is basically as an inventory filler. It, it has to fill up stadiums 41 times a year. It has to fill up regional sports network schedules. It has to fill up sort of, you know, ESPN and TNT schedule. Like, that's just a different product than the NFL, which is a sort of a tentpole product, where one game a week, uh, you're going to be very focused on it. And that's, that's sort of inherent to the game. And it's weird because the NBA is in this weird middle ground between baseball, which baseball is the extreme to that. 162 games a year. A huge portion of the money comes from the gate, uh, in fans attending, uh, uh, RSNs are even more important to baseball, uh, regional sports networks, uh, than, than sort of national contracts. The NBA is more of a national thing than the NFL is completely a national thing. So may, there may be a bit here where I'm, uh be there's a bit of wishful thinking here and the reality is is this is just given the nature of the product this is the way it needs to be and so I, I i shouldn't i shouldn't take too many shots given that um you know there's very smart people in charge that are i'm sure thinking about this and lots of different angles that that i haven't considered
0: well i know i just think you're onto something i mean when when you you're you talking about sort of going for the short money in terms of, of locations. By the way, I said when I was talking about a team in Seattle or Tacoma, I was talking about a G League team. No, I know, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it yeah.
1: prompted me. It prompted yeah. me to, to think about the, the bigger point.
0: Yeah, uh, but but I think that that's sort of something we we have seen with the star making machine too. I mean, it's you know how many years of bad Knicks teams playing on Christmas have we had? Um, and ver- and versus like the fact that they that that you know Paul George is not a big star is is you know is just a massive failure. I mean, yeah, you know,
1: I, those Indiana teams were great. I mean, it, it, it's and there was a whole narrative, you know, David versus Goliath that could have been built up and it was just like, oh, I guess we're now now, and, now, now it's uh, Indiana versus Miami. Yeah.
0: And he and he's I mean, he's, and he's a charismatic player. He's he's not devoid of personality, even if like his his quotes are you know occasionally greeted with like eye rolls. Um but but it, but it was just it was it's uh as you say, it's, it's almost learning the lessons of the last war. It's like, oh, okay. got a star and a big market and we're good to go. And that, that was more um, the league was fortunate that Bird and Magic landed in Boston and LA and they were both like, you know, top 10-ish all-time players at the same time at the height of their powers. In those, like that was, that's a lot of fortune coming together rather than something that you can plan on working every time.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, for sure, and, and I think that this, um, and, you know, Jordan, Jordan, Chicago is is sort of the, the same thing, and yeah, there's just the, um, I, I think the Paul George one actually is really interesting because uh, you, you get into and then you end up with this conversation around well, when when is this player going to leave and go to a big market, and I, it, it, it it's so toxic to just enjoying the game. And when the conversation is is always about the future, then you sort of devalue the present. And that is such a problem in the NBA. And I think that you see a problem with the NBA in general, again, not to I, I'll go back to the NFL. The reality is it's just a much better, you know, I think a better run league. Uh, the, the NFL absolutely dictates and, cast control over what its broadcast partners say about it and you know and I, there's the famous case obviously of, of richard goodell versus bill simmons and the end result is bill simmons was not at espn anymore and and that's about as high profile as a sort of conflict can be and on one hand it's like well You know, as a proper journalist, I object to this interference. On the other hand, it's an entertainment product and ESPN at the end of the day is an entertainment company. And the, and there's a bit where the NBA makes that or the NFL has made that a priority. And I think it's paid off and you don't get that in the NBA. You get people on the exact opposite. You get people during broadcasts speculating about a player on the floor and what future team they're going to go to. And how does that feel if, you, if we're a fan watching that or someone on the outside watching that? It's not just irritating, and believe me, I know this is a Bucks fan with all the speculation around Giannis, but it's like for anyone else watching, it's like, why should I care? This team isn't going to even be a team in the future. And, and there's, again, it, it, it's, it's this lack of a unifying theme and this, and this will to build a sort of a mythology and a reason to care. And if the reason to care is just about individual players, then to your point, you're completely you're, – it's all luck. It ends up being luck. Do you end up with a big player in a big market with a good team? Great. Things are great. But what about the rest of the time?
0: Or or worse than luck you get in a situation where because, you know, it's a very um, – it, it's sort of the, uh, the appearance of impropriety kind of thing where uh, your your league partners are very transactional – and or given it, the chasing transactions and you, you have a clear incentive, they have a clear incentive for these made star players to end up in the biggest media markets. And then it's it's it then you're sort of blurring the lines between, you know, what you know, you, you do start to get to that 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 sort of situation of 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 uh, not having a peer competition It's never peer competition like an L.A. team always has advantages, just like that's the nature of it, but like yep. keep it within reasons. Uh, I want to change topics, uh, you know, sharp right turn from here, but first uh, Jarrell has been pac- patiently waiting to ask a question. So if you can unmute and uh,
2: fire away. I was just going to say, you know, one, one thing that, that seems really interesting on that point you were just raising is how much maybe the, the online sort of social media discourse has the potential to actually influence the players and how they think Um, I think about something like uh, like Russell Westbrook, where it's a very common thing on Twitter to say, like, Russ has never won anything, when in reality, like, the only thing that Russ has never won is a championship. But because of that, I I wonder how much players are sort of thinking, what's the best situation for me if I'm going to be evaluated on this, like, rings or bust dynamic, which does see them maybe potentially think about clustering in bigger markets and getting a chance at contention. Whereas, you know, maybe twenty, thirty years ago, there were some players who were on teams that weren't necessarily great teams, but they were sort of beloved in their town. And and that seemed like a, a good fit for everybody. I just wonder how much the players and sort of their quote unquote legacy sort of influences uh the the way that they're sort of thinking about what what a good career is.
0: Yes. Um, yeah, I
2: think. I mean, <laughs> I'm. I've never been. Uh, I, I. I've never been an NBA
1: player. Seth might have been. I'm not sure. No, I'm
0: not. No. Um, but there's but, a, there's uh... <laughs> a very clear example. There's a very. There's a very clear example of exactly what what he's talking about.
1: Yeah. Well, I, mean, and, I can't. I. I. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, I mean it's it. it's it's you know like LeBron James like I think, like reasonably early in his career realized that hey I'm going to be judged by this like. Like this, this, you know, Skip Bayless is going to say these things and I have to win every championship or my legacy is going to be yada, yada, yada. So in that case, you know, it's a combination of like need to play with other great other stars. And also, you know, the, the Bill Parcells, you know, the famous Bill Parcells quote about, you know, getting to, getting to, uh, you know, shop for the groceries. Um, and so that's, you know, since then he has been, I think by most accounts, um, extremely influential in terms of who his teammates are, whether it's where he plays and who joins him there or who gets added and subtracted to those teams. And um, he's a better player than he is a GM because player evaluation is hard and his day job is also very hard. Um, So much like coaches shouldn't be GMs, players shouldn't also. But but at the same time, you can completely understand the impetus to if I'm going to get blamed for everything, then I want to choose everything.
1: Yeah. And I think there's just a broader point about social media. And I think hopefully this is a lesson that the NBA is learning. And honestly, that even players are learning, um, you know, I, one of the, I am relative to uh, an NBA player. Needless to say uh, an absolute nobody. Um, I do have 200,000 some followers or whatever on, on Twitter. And I have to say, it's a very disorienting experience. Uh that's frankly not much fun, but also it's something you need to learn to understand and manage. And fortunately, I kind of figured out this early when I, when I, you know, started, started and I would get feedback on Twitter and I'd feel, be very responsive to that. And I'd think about that. And, and that's an interesting point. And I realized and it helped because I had a subscription product where people were actually paying. And I realized at some point that I was kept interacting with the same people on Twitter all the time. And that relatively limited number of people was a very different and much smaller number than the number of subscribers I had, which meant that I was running the risk of letting a very small number of people influence, have overly too much influence on what I was doing and thinking, just because there was this medium that let them shout at me from anywhere in the world. And I needed to be very disciplined about putting Twitter in its place as far as a feedback function goes. Because it's not representative as a whole, and you back up and you look at Twitter and its relative share of the market and how big it is and that's absolutely that's absolutely the case it's 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 just a fraction a very noisy fraction, but it's not it's not a real, and it's not just that but it's not like a you take you say twitter is 20 percent of the of of your viewership it's not a random twenty percent it's a specific type of fan it's someone who is very textually oriented who is probably of a certain age range who, who, who probably reads a fair bit because someone who's more visually oriented or more video oriented they're, they're likely to be on instagram or on tiktok or whatever it might be and it's uh, a very easy trap to fall into and again i this is the part i know from personal experience to over index on that and i don't know if this happens with players or not i do think it happened with the league a fair bit over the last decade and maybe they're sort of pulling out of that a little bit. I, I I hope so. And remembering that your audience is a broader audience and a lot of people watching you don't have time or energy because they're actually like working and doing you know, and, and uh, taking care of their family and doing whatever else it might be. And they just want to stop and sit down and watch a game at night. And uh I don't know to what extent the NBA is out in the market trying to survey and understand this customer. But I hope they are a fair bit because in my personal experience, again, anecdote, the sort of uh, local fan of a team that wants to just get home and have a beer and watch the game has very different takes on the NBA than your typical Twitter fan. Uh, They're much more likely to cheer for the jersey than to cheer for the player they're much more likely to be disgusted or not disgusted by, but frustrated by player movement, not because they're anti-labor or whatever sort of thing you want to put out there, but because they don't have time to follow all this stuff. And it's annoying when they turn on a game, they, they don't recognize the players on the floor. Like, and, and they, they definitely, they probably don't want, you know, broad discussions of societal trends. They just want to you know hear about the game. And I, I think that, you know, the, at the end of the day, when it, when you're dealing with a product that lives and that that's money is driven by ratings and driven by how many people are watching it, and that payoff is just not in the relative power companies like ESPN or or, or TNT can have over the cable networks, but also the advertising they can draw, and more importantly, the RSNs. I mean, I think the, the really underappreciated part about the NBA and the media is the ESPN part's fine. The TNT part is fine in part because those companies and the NBA are all in the same boat. They all need the cable bundle to continue to exist. And so live sports is the biggest driver of that. And so ESPN is not gonna cut the NBA off because the ratings are too low. Where, where else are they gonna go? They, Like I said, they, it's an inventory filler. The big problem is RSNs, so regional sports networks, which are like Bali sports in Wisconsin, which you know is just in Wisconsin, and it shows Bucks and Brewers games. And those ratings are really terrible, and those contracts are really expensive, and they're you're in a situation where yes, the local cable network will carry them, uh, Charter, you know, or Spectrum, whatever in Wisconsin, but the sort of YouTube TVs of the world, uh, Direct TV streamings of the world, won't because they're they're the local cable company has actually built out physical infrastructure, and it it's worth the 10,000 fans or 7,000 fans that watch it to to serve them. If you're streaming over the internet, you haven't built up physical infrastructure in every state and every geography. So you're more than fine to say, hey, if there's a few people that really want the bucks and are not going to subscribe to YouTube TV, that's fine. We, we, like, It's not worth the cost to everyone else. And you have this situation where regional sports networks are in really bad shape all over the place. And that's a huge sort of dark source of money for all these teams that is not really talked about because everyone talks about the national TV deals. And those are the fans that are watching on those regional sports networks that I think are also the least likely to be in the Twitter conversation that are going to have a different point of view. And it's a real economic issue facing the league. I mean, again, it's worse for baseball. So you can always look over there and say, well, at least we're not as bad, bad off as they are but it's definitely an issue and and I think the um and again it just comes back to the games pay the bills and that means the games need to be front and center and I think I get frustrated with the league when that's not the case
0: so I I had a, a about I, geez, about 20 years ago now I'm old um I had I had an experience that kind of like I think illustrated almost perfectly like what you're talking about in terms of like the average, you know, game day fan, game night fan not being, uh, you know, someone who's on Twitter. I, when I was in law school in, in Minneapolis, um, my, my best friend in law school and I would get like a, a season, like a, you know, like an eight game package every year. And, you know, the, the, the ticket rep would call me up and say, hey, which games do you want? And I'd, I'd ask her, I was like, hey, who do you want to go see? And she's like, I don't know. Can you find out when they have the dog races at halftime? and that was the and that was and like that was and, and you know and you know what that's great like she wanted to go and see basketball and like the stuff that I kind of don't like about NBA game like uh t-shirt cans and stuff she loved it and then the halftime show being cool like and that's that's, that's great that's fine. it's like you say it's an entertainment product and like meeting that fan halfway and not just the, the noisy social media person is is probably an under an under discussed thing um I want to I want to pivot from uh, from again us us you know describing the problem a little bit. You kind of touched on on some uh, some ideas for solutions, and I think that that so many of these there are you know when you're talking about the like the, the Twitter stream on the screen, it's like oh that's, that's Twitch, and or you know it's it's uh, are there other kind of services uh, in other and other kind of tech slash media companies that are doing this effectively in ways you think that the NBA could uh, either uh, adopt or adapt.
1: Yeah, I, I do think, I mean, for all the banging on Twitter, I I, for, I do think Twitter is actually a signal to a, a, a light post or, or a lighthouse or whatever to the future of the NBA. And I think the key thing is there's a real big distinction between uh, Twitter most of the time, and Twitter during the game, right? And Twitter during the game is this magical experience where a big play happens and everyone's exploding on your timeline. And then someone posts a highlight and there's commentary and people are making jokes about the announcers. And it's 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 an incredible experience that it dramatically enhances the game because you're getting context about the game sort of in real time and i think the that's the part that i think is really interesting and exciting and which i think is the most optimistic take on this deal that with the, with microsoft that that the nba can work to potentially unlock and where instead of social media being in opposition to the game social media is really leaned on as an enhancement to to the game and but i think this is the early days twitter is just a it's a it's sort of a version 0.1 it's it's this stream of text that is hard to follow next to the game you get to future things which was we talked about in an interview with, with adam silver and Sachin nadella where you, you you can actually talk to people during the game like you can you sort of i mean actual gaming like xbox is doing this now you can have ongoing conversations and obviously you know that's why they're good at solving the latency challenges you know you want to solve latency challenge let's get a first person shooter where we're in the same playing the same thing. And we're talking to each other and coordinating. Like that's that, that's why this is a good tech partner for them. Now imagine that during a game where we can sit and watch or listen to folks or have side channels and be discussing the game as if you're sitting around, you know, at a buddy's house and let's get together watch the game and crack jokes and do whatever. Uh, I actually do think virtual reality is really interesting and compelling in this case um, where you can imagine there's a few different ways this can manifest itself. One is obviously just feeling like you're like you're at the game and that is that there's already been experiments around that. What I think is really interesting is feeling like you're at the game with someone else and someone in, in, is sitting next to you and I don't know how many folks have had a chance to actually try uh, virtual reality and the people that have tried have usually tried playing games, but to me, the most compelling, use case for virtual reality and this is, is actually like meetings like like you have like a team meeting if everyone is there in if everyone is there in virtual reality you 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 it really feel if you remember details of that meeting your memory is in that virtual space and so you might have been sitting in your office but you don't remember being in your office having this meeting you remember being there the sense of presence is really quite compelling and I think sports is an obvious way to sort of get this to work. And so, Matt, you can feel like you, you watch a game, you're sitting next to your buddy, you're, you're you're having a conversation, you're making jokes, doing whatever. Different people can drop in and visit and they can leave. And then you take it off and, whoa, I, you, you you forget that you were sitting at home the whole time. Um, I think this is uh, incredibly exciting. This is definitely a few years down the road, but it, it's in the same vein of enhancing the game by bringing social around it. And I think the, uh, it, it just it's the same thing, make though. Make the game the thing. And I think that's that's just something that's going to be um, – that, that needs to be sort of the North Star.
0: And I, I think if, if for that idea, it's not just – you say the make the game the thing. I don't think we're just talking about the court. I think for that to be – a satisfying experience it's the experience of the game and I think anyone who enjoys live sporting events um the crowd's a big part of it like even on TV the crowd like yeah. the crowd being and it was really is striking a big during, deal.
1: during the during the pandemic like just how miserable it was watching a game with no crowd it, it, it was I mean and it, you didn't really fully appreciate it until the crowds came back for the playoffs last year and it's like oh my god this, <laughs> this is such a better television product just by virtue of fans being there, even even though, you know, the, theoretically the product on the court is the same.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the mistake they made was was trying to make it too, like, you know, th- there was very, something very dystopian about, like, dance teams at the top of stairwells in empty arenas doing <laughs> yeah. in-game activations with face masks on. Like, that's just like, what are, what are we doing here? Like, this is, like, the uncanniest of valleys going on. So, yeah, that... But, but so the, so, but it's, I guess to bring it back, I mean, it's, it's making part of that is making the experience of going to a game as good as possible, because like you're, if you're, if you're talking about like exporting that experience uh, virtually, like the fans in the stand are part of your product too.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. It it is a good point. I think that that's, that, 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 that makes sense. I think the, um. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I think there's promise. I think one of the real tensions here, though, is the more you're focused on sort of a digital product, it's not just the you want to make the in arena experience great, but also there's a tension with sort of your broadcast partners where the, and you know, like I said, the NBA and ESPN and TNT, they're all in the same boat together. They're all heavily invested in keeping the linear TV model going and uh and so to what extent can you know, you you get a, a, an espn they f- feel like they're getting their money's worth and again maybe just uh, you're authenticating in your microsoft account so that you you have an espn subscription or whatever it might be but i think that um there is a there is a business challenge here even if i think the technology I would say technology hurt the NBA for a bit, in part because Twitter, I think, became a distraction. But I think it's bending towards it can be a real aid. And I think this deal signifies it, but it needs to be brought in line in a way that sort of makes sense from a business
0: perspective as well. I, I, I might suggest that the broadcast partners, and I'll bring Yu Yang up, uh, uh, frequent listener Yu Yang, I'll bring him up uh, to, to ask a question. But but um, I think the broadcast Hello. partners could, could first try, uh, you know, selling the product themselves a little better and putting on a good TV product. But that's, you know, that's, again, I my it, soapbox.
1: I do, no, I completely agree. And I think the NBA should be leaning on them to do so. Like, like the, the there's this weird... Again, at the end of the day, ESPN and TNT are paying you tons of money for this product because you have a desirable product. These aren't journalistic companies. It's not like the New York Times uh, covering your your thing. Like, and, and I think that there's this weird like ESPN likes to quote themselves as a journalistic organization. They're not, they're an entertainment company that, that they, I'm not disparaging their journalism. They do their best, but at the end of the day, both ESPN and the NFL knows who pays the bills and the NBA should remember that
0: too. So we got to get Ben out of here in a couple minutes. So you you, know, oh, if you got a very we, quick question.
3: Oh, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll keep it as quick as possible then. You know what? Um, actually, you know what? Let, let me ask you this. Um,
1: uh, uh, so, Ben, you were, were talking, I agree with you that, um, that the NBA uh, the ratings doesn't matter to ESPN as much as we think it, it is because ESPN needs NBA as much as NBA needs ESPN. Uh, my quick question to you is, is that I noticed that the NBA, um, they make a lot of money for Nike, right? They make a lot of money, I'm, I'm assuming, for Twitter in terms of getting Twitter feeds. And they probably even get a lot of uh, make money for YouTube in terms of getting people to click on highlights. How does the NBA fix that problem where they're making a lot of money for other companies and not for themselves? so that's my quick question, and I'll be I'll go. Thank you so much. Yeah, the Nike angle is a very interesting one. um you know, I think obviously the 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 relative power and influence Nike has is significant there's some bit where this is not solvable like i I do think it's good to have highlights relatively widely available. Like I said, I you know having people be able to cut up plays and demonstrate the intricacies of the pick and roll uh, were a big part in me becoming a, a much bigger fan. So I think there is value there. I think the answer though is to recognize that there is some aspect where these companies are competitors, and I think the NBA has sometimes just only looked at them as upside without realizing, to your point, that you know eyeballs on eyeballs on Twitter are eyeballs that are not necessarily on the NBA. And so you just need to proceed with caution with your eyes wide open. And whereas I think there's been sort of a blanket embrace without any consideration of sort of potential downsides.
0: Well, Ben, I know you got to get out of here to your next thing since your work day is starting, but uh, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, sorry, we didn't get a chance to bring no tech out, but maybe we'll uh, do that again sometime and you can make your uh, Giannis for MVP pitch.
1: Oh, I, I don't need to state the obvious, so it's fine.
0: <laughs> all right, thanks a lot, Ben. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Sounds good. Talk to you later. And uh, thanks, thanks for joining everybody. I am, uh, I think, I'm going to do a Saturday Q and A this week, and then I am back next week with, I believe, Chris Harrington uh, to talk about the uh, surprising Memphis Grizzlies. So uh, thanks, thanks for listening in, uh, and uh, talk to you all later. Thanks a lot.